We're not open for breakfast. It's all very legal. We have a warrant. It's a little sticky. What exactly are you looking for, Willis? This is a murder investigation. It's a congressional matter. I can assure you, citizen, that if we discover that you're involved, the consequences will be abrupt and severe. Who are they? I picked them up off the boulevard. I like a good menage every now and then. Welcome to part two of our barbed wire episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect in their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So we're going to start with the ground floor tier. $1. What does $1 get you? Well, four starters gets you access to our cutting room floor segments, which is just the stuff that doesn't make it to episodes. And also, every month we get at least one bonus episode picked by a patron. This month, patron Dan Brennick is making us watch uh, the original Dolomite. Alex, do you know anything about Dolomite? Extremely little. Okay, well, I'm not going to say anything because I've seen the Netflix movie Dolomite is My Name, which is actually our next episode. But Dan, you know, always a champion of Netflix movies, which makes sense because he runs a podcast uh, that's about Netflix. He's making us watch Dolomite is My Name, the Eddie Murphy adaptation for uh, our next episode. And on the Patreon feed, Dolomite, which is like the actual, it's not Eddie Murphy. It's the, the real, uh, I don't remember the name of the actor that. Eddie Murphy's playing in the Netflix movie, but you know, that guy made a lot of movies and I think Dolomite might be his first. So we're going to get a, a twofer. If you're a patron, you get to hear us talk about Dolomite is my name on the main feed. And then you get to hear us talk about one of the movies that it's referenced in that biopic. Uh, sounds like a lot of fun. And also by now we've already recorded Lohan part two that that one's in post-production and that uh, we're, we're gearing up to recording Lohan part three. Uh, Alex. Shit gets dark, y'all. <laughs> yes, it was, it it was, uh, it was not as as happy go lucky of a recording when we did part two, and I am I'm not gonna say I'm dreading part three because I mean I am looking forward to watching all those movies, but I just yeah. know that uh, on the personal side, it's uh, I think I might have mentioned it uh, during the part two recording, but I'm just glad that I know that it, it kind of has a happy ending by the time we get to part four. Otherwise, it would be too much of a downer. To, to go down this rabbit hole uh yeah part three i'm looking i you know it's been it's been a quest to to get chapter 27 on the podcast uh, and that's more just so i can make fun of jared leto than it has anything to do with Lindsay lohan but <laughs> I, i'm curious about the movies we're gonna be diving into and so far you know it's been uh, we've learned a lot about not only ourselves but uh the life and times of miss lohan and uh, yeah, I'm hoping for a happy ending too. There you go. Hope with us. Hope together with us <laughs> the, on the first tier, the Travolties of uh, of our patron channel. Now, if you want even more goodies, well, you go up the tiers, Winonis and upwards. Uh, you also get our pre-recording notes. You get our quick video reviews. We still we have to record the QVR for Bad Genius, which was Ryan's pick. And Alex, I'm just going to throw the next QVR at you and our patrons so they can start uh, salivating as our next uh, dual QVR is going to be on the movie Bullet Train, which is on Netflix. Mm. It's from Katie and OT, who uh, wanted to talk about that. And I've seen it. I know you haven't. I know you're kind of reticent to check these action movies that go over two hours. But this is Brad Pitt. And we love Brad Pitt on this show. So 
All Hopefully right, that just, the, the tips the scales. Just barely goes over two hours. And it's got Michael Shannon in it, so. Yes. Yeah, it has and, a, uh, an all-star cast. WWE superstar Bad Bunny. I don't know who that is. <laughs> you don't know who Bad Bunny is? I've heard of Bad Bunny. Isn't he a singer? Like, yeah, like even oh, by okay. accident, how do you not know who Bad Bunny is? I move in different circles. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh so that will be a quick video review, a dual quick video review uh, for you this month. And then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're thinking about, listening to, reading, anything that doesn't have to do with what we were talking about on the main show most of the time. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? To be honest, I don't know if I've if I have, then this will be a follow up to. It. I don't know if I've ever spoken at length about. I think you should leave and my thoughts on it. But the new season of that just came out, and uh, I've already watched it. I think twice through. So talk <laughs> about. I think you should leave, and then yeah, it was a bit of a tie in because there is a bit of a wrestling connection on there. But also more or less than to just put like the word out there to see if I can get any feedback on it. I've really been diving deep into the incredible bootlegging world of pro wrestling. Like I, I only knew the surface level stuff, but I'm getting more and more into it. Kind of want to talk about some of my recent acquisitions that are even interesting from like a movie perspective and uh, see if anyone out there, because you know, you got to keep these things on the DL, like the, the people who do this, like specifically say part of you buying from me is you can't tag me in any of this shit or, you know, say you got it from me. Uh, on like social media because that's that draws attention yada 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 and i'm curious because we do have a, a good following on our patron and because i do want to keep the things kind of quiet i want to know if the, the, there's more out there for like the movie community and the music community and if so give me the fucking hookup so i'm going to talk about the wonderful world of bootlegging uh that i've become more and more aware of recently and uh also i think you should leave all right well on my side alex uh you know i've never seen Fatal Attraction, the movie with Glenn Close and Michael Douglas. Like, I know it as a big part of pop culture. I think I've seen, you know, the, the relevant parts of it. I know, like, the big moments. I know about the bunny. Uh, I know how it ends. I know the plot. You know, it's it's Fatal Attraction. I think that if you're part of a certain age range, you know about it as, as, a, as part of pop culture. But I've never seen it, never really felt the need to see it. I, I, uh, and now there's... Uh, a Hulu miniseries, I guess it's eight episodes. Uh, I don't know if it, if that's it or if there's more coming, but uh, it's it's Fatal Attraction as a TV show starring Joshua Jackson in the Michael Douglas role and Lizzie Kaplan in the Glenn Close role, and it is a hoot, as you like to say. <laughs> Goddamn um, hoot! Yeah, it, um, there's a lot to to talk about, and I haven't finished the season. I might be finished by the time that we record the after hours but i i really want to want to talk about it and want to hear from anybody who who's watched it as well uh and then briefly because I, it's not like i have a whole lot to say about this but i i really kind of like put it on the record and, and tell you about it uh i watched uh the first ever steven spielberg movie duel and also mm. the first ever george lucas movie thx 1138 and i can thank slash blame uh, our film busters friends for that because they they covered both movies on their show and i was like well you know i've always been curious to to see where where it all started and uh why not so fatal attraction dual thx 1138 i think you should leave and the wonderful mysterious world of bootlegging are you gonna be hunting laser discs alex is that 
what you're trying to do? No, Laserdisc, I, I told you about, uh, and this was in After Hours, about my jaunt to L.A., that booth that had the the first WrestleMania on Laserdisc for $100, and I had to talk myself out of buying it. it Laserdisc seems like one of those things that once you like go there, you can't go back, and I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> I'm still doing a good job about not full board collecting VHS, just kind of getting some here and there to kind of sprinkle through my collection. I need to keep myself disciplined. But again, because I've learned more about the bootlegging community and like how it's better to keep it hush hush. I want to talk about it behind a paywall. So if any of our <laughs> patrons have some info for me, they can, you know, give it that way. The call is out. If if that doesn't make you want to become a patron i don't know what will <laughs> just be part of alex's underground network bootlegging and between that and we're you know as of part two we're already going to be about five hours into our low hand journey um you got the 10 plus hours of our rock cena mega series all of our previous bonus episodes all the way back to our first patron post of our bonus episode on blue is the warmest color there's a lot of shit that goes down there um if you haven't already just Throw us a buck and look around, man. To all of our current patrons, y'all know we love you so dearly. And as I always end this spiel with, we are taking and reviewing applications and they will quickly be accepted and approved. Patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. Check it out. One dollar. Uh, there's a lot that goes on there. I can't like the range of emotions and topics. It, we're at the point where they can't even really be contained. It's just like <laughs> we got to hit the high points of what's there. And then you can discover other things on your own. Couldn't have said it better. And now, Alex, let's uh, turn on the, the rain machine, the slow-mo. And uh, y'all pretty ladies <laughs> around the world. <laughs> let's dance our way to a uh, real talk. Don't call me, babe. <laughs> this movie kind of rules. <laughs> Are you having a Howard the Duck moment? No. No. Because Howard the Duck, I think, we think, is not bad. Like, it's enough to almost be good. <laughs> <laughs> and its legacy as one of the worst movies of all time is absolutely ridiculous. This is bad and it knows it's bad and that is worth a lot and pamela anderson is not acting in a way that is cringeworthy to watch because you know this is uh, this is the introduction here and we'll get to our uh <laughs> the reason we're doing this and also the critical quotes but like there is a very fine line that is walked, and I don't know how Julio feels about this movie, but Julio and I repeatedly through the history of our podcasting journey have said that movies like The Room or Uwe Boll movies or those movies that are like terrible, uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, that are just awful that people watch to laugh at, that does nothing for us. Like that, that is one facet of film fandom that Julio and I really have no capacity for. Now, something like this, a movie like this is so remarkably up my alley and so remarkably not up Julio's that I'm curious how he's going <laughs> to feel about it. But my main takeaway when it was over is that I've always had a very confused idea of what this was. Now that I've watched it in full, 
this is a fun little movie. It's not good, but it's fun. So that's my lead off. Let's go through the critic quotes that you've acquired that praise this movie. Um, I have one of my own. And then we'll get to the most important critic for this particular episode, which is Gerald, and we'll see what he feels about it. All right. Got three fresh tomatoes. None of them are what I'm assuming is your your big gun. <laughs> Do you have a, you're just like twitching. Your fingers are twitching near your holster. Uh, but first, we'll go with Hal Hinson from the Washington Post, who says, The movie carries its cyberpunk variation right through to the end, and usually with enough wit and craziness to freshen the mix. Then there's Pamela, whose tight, disciplined performance deserves more respect than it will almost certainly get. Um, um, I, okay, that, that's a bit overboard. But if I read you correctly if i if i understood you correctly from, from your opening statement you do my, think my opening salvo yes you're like ladies and gentlemen of the jury she knows it's a bad movie <laughs> i'm just a simple caveman <laughs> uh, would you say at least that it deserves more respect than it it certainly got Oof. the respect, performance not the movie the respect's a pretty intense word um I don't know her, and I don't know. <laughs> you have to know her. You, you well, saw the movie. The, the whole point is, I know what if if it's what I think it is. Yes, if it's right. if it if it was genuinely her giving a hundred percent and thinking like this was her fucking Sophie's choice, then no. But like from <laughs> how I interpreted it, I think this movie gets too much vitriol. I. I think that there's, or at least the way I see it, it's 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 there's a simpler way of looking at it because yes, also I I also don't know Pamela Anderson, <laughs> but I watched the movie and I her performance, you know, I I I formed an opinion on it uh, that was independent of her public persona because I really, other than the the Tommy Lee tape, you know, the scandal and knowing that she was in Baywatch, I I have very little connection with Pamela Anderson. Like you had to remind me that she was in a uh, home what? improvement. She, I, she, she walked Kevin Nash to the ring at WrestleMania 11, man. Come on. Oh, I forgot. I missed that one. I, I didn't go to that one. <laughs> uh, so I, I saw it and I, I think that whatever problems this movie has, like Pamela Anderson's performance is definitely not one of them. I think that they, whether it's perfect casting or, or that she is way more, uh, way more, uh, I don't want to say talented because that's kind of insulting at this point, but that she she has way, way more, more commanding of the screen. Well, yeah, because you you're thinking, you know, just like I said, general outside of her, obvious she's fucking hot as shit. You know what I mean? Right, but it's like was she just cast for her looks, or was she cast because they're like, oh, well, she gets the joke. She she knows what it's like to be objectified, so she can turn it into an asset here and and really have zero problem playing a character that is you know all about her sexuality and so i i do think that like it, people that watch it and they're like oh man she's a bad actress i don't think that they i don't think they're right <laughs> I, I think I that agree they agree with that yeah i think they're misjudging the performance i think that she's doing exactly what the movie needed her to do and if you don't like it well you don't like the tone of the movie it's not it's not really her fault but I don't know. That's just uh, just one contrarian talking, or two of them, since you agree with me. All right, next. Jeffrey M. Anderson from Combustible Celluloid says, There isn't a scene that Anderson Lee walks through that didn't grab my attention. 
is that because she's really hot <laughs> or is that because <laughs> you uh, appreciate the performance jeffrey that quote is not specific enough uh, and then we have Kim Williamson from Box Office Magazine, who says the focus remains on Lee throughout, and except for one flashback scene in which we see the young, compassionate woman she once was, she pretty much delivers. Uh, so I guess she didn't like the flashback. Did you? Did you like the flashback? I, I didn't think that there was a whole lot it, to it. Yeah, it, it, there's not enough there for it to be like offensive. Yeah, uh, but that's the one weak spot. It is so funny because it is so stylized, and you know the post-apocalyptic to see like them just wearing the standard army fatigues from <laughs> any war movie ever it's perfectly pressed yeah <laughs> uh all right uh go to go to the big gun and then we'll come back to gerald the big boy the one and only roger ebert uh from rogerebert.com his review dated May 3rd, 1996 of course the release date of this movie uh rog went on a scale of 4 right uh yes he gave barbed wire two and a half stars and a thumbs up and he writes barbed wire takes place in the year 2017 the worst year of my life according to barb we are in the middle of the second american civil war the congressional dictorate has seized control of america they used an hiv derivative named red ribbon to wipe out topeka But Barb lives in the last free city where she runs a nightclub. Times are hard, so hard, Americans insist on payment in Canadian dollars. Barb steers clear of politics. She's friends with the local police chief, who's on the take, but has a good heart. Then she gets involved in contraband. Some identity lenses are missing. Whoever possesses them can get a free passage into Canada. A little guy says he knows where they are. A fat guy offers to buy them. The congressional (laughs) dictorate troops, dressed like Nazis, come into Barb's club and tear it apart looking for them. You must remember this. It's Casablanca recycled. The biggest howler in the credits is the line, based on a story by Eileen Chaikin. Chaikin? Uh, Would it have killed Eileen to acknowledge Casablanca? True. There are differences, too. In this movie, a kiss is not necessarily just a kiss. Not when Barb's sex life includes nailing guys through the middle of the forehead with a stiletto heel. Barb, inspired by a comic book heroine, is played by Pamela Anderson Lee, the Baywatch star in leather, chains, and an industrial strength wonder bra. As the movie opens, she's on a trapeze being sprayed by a hose in slow motion, a scene that reminded me of the climax of Behind the Green Door. That's when she's posing as a stripper. Later, when she poses as a hooker, it's to gain entry into an apartment so she can blow out the wall to rescue a hostage. Bogey was a wimp compared to Barb, (laughs) whose personal DNA, if I heard correctly, quote, holds the anecdote to our secret weapon. Uh, The movie is wonderfully confusing, but I think that means she could have saved Topeka, whether by preventative intercourse or otherwise, I haven't a clue. Here's an important line to what we're talking about. Pamela Anderson Lee, while not a great actress, is a good sport. She's backlit in endless scenes where if she could have figured out a way to send her breasts in separately, she could have stayed at home. Don't call me babe, she says, a trademark line like make my day or I'll be back. Everyone who calls her babe pays with his life. One guy tries to light her cigarette, which turns out to be a blowgun and gets a poison dart between his eyes. (laughs) The parallels with Casablanca are fun to spot. The Sydney Green Street character named Big Fatso, Andre Rosie Brown, reclines in the shovel of a caterpillar tractor at his junkyard munching on a turkey leg there you go or maybe an ostrich leg it's so big (laughs) 
and offering to buy the contact lenses. But Barb has mercy on an idealistic young woman, that's uh, Victoria Rao, who is married to a resistance leader and gives her the lenses. At the end, the heroes board an Air Canada flight. The one big scene from Casablanca that's missing here is the musical showdown in which the Patriots sing uh, Maricelis to drown the Nazi anthem. Considering that Barb Wire runs a punk leather club, here's today's quiz. What song would be the Congressional Dictorate's <laughs> anthem? And what song would the party-loving SNMsters sing to drown it out? The movie has been rated R for nudity slash sexuality. There is some nudity, mostly weirdly lit. The sexuality involves various forms of foreplay to violence. There is nothing resembling eroticism except for the dialogue, she's as tender as a Tuscan veal. <laughs> Barbed wire's breast, winced into place and clamped down by leather and steel costumes, seemed as immobile as the similarly shaped fenders on a 1957 Olds Rocket 88. Look at those guns, a guy says approvingly, not referring to firearms. <laughs> there are some strange moments. You know the basic scene where a guy is thrown through a window and we get a slow-mo shot from three different angles as he falls to the ground? Barbwire achieves a first by showing a chair thrown through a window and descending in slow-mo, etc. <laughs> Movies like this stir a certain affection in my heart. The filmmakers must have known they were not making a good movie, but they didn't use that as an excuse to be boring and lazy. Barbwire has a high energy level and a sense of deranged fun. There's as much sheer work in this film as in films ten times as good, which is both encouraging and depressing, I suppose. <laughs> How long is this going to take? As long as it takes, citizen. As long as it takes. I don't have a, a, a rating from Gerald, but he did send a message saying, you can quote me as saying nothing was hotter than Pam in barbed wire. Is she a good actress? No. Is it a good script? No. Does any of that matter? No. She's so hot in it that she can literally get away with murder. So... I suspected, <laughs> Gerald, a big fan of this movie because uh, Pamela Anderson is hot. And uh, it's hard to disagree with him on that front. Now, I really want to go back to the the this. I mean, he says it, right? He just said it. And that quote, <laughs> he doesn't think that she's a good actress. And I don't think I agree with that. I honestly, I can't tell you based on just what little I've seen of her. I can't tell you if she's a good actress or a bad actress. Like I, I know that like the rest of the cast in Baywatch, she's like good at running <laughs> across the beach. Uh, but I don't know what her range is. I know what my preconception of her is, which is like, oh, well, you know, she's probably not that great of an actress. Uh, it's just somebody that got cast for her looks or whatever. But then I watched this movie and I'm like, like I said, you know, just a little bit ago, whether it's just really good casting or it's just that she got what the movie was going for or maybe both, you know, just, I, I think that she is pretty much perfect in this role. That doesn't mean that somebody else couldn't have done it. And it certainly doesn't mean that she is a great actress, but I wouldn't just say that she's a bad actress based on what I see in this movie. I, I think that she carries a movie and I, I think that she works really well. Now is this, very much against what the comic book character is supposed to be. Maybe, maybe that's where some of the hate comes from, but I didn't see any quotes, at least on Rotten Tomatoes that, that were about that. You know, uh, whenever there was a quote that was about her performance, it was just like, Oh yeah, she's not good. I don't think so. I think that, uh, 
I, I think she's the best part of the movie. I mean, she, just because of how, just how at ease she feels in the role. Do you have a, a, a different experience, Alex? Do you like, are you more uh, well-versed in Baywatch than I am to where you can tell me, no, she's not really that great. It, this was just kind of a uh, circle of luck with the casting and the material. Well, first of all, I need to circle back. I was reading that article phonetically and, uh, you know how I am. I have to correct myself when I'm wrong or else it'll drive me fucking insane. It's Marseille is the name of the song. It's the French song, Marseille. I read it phonetically, and I don't want to seem like an uncultured swine. So I, I know it in Spanish. I just know it's La Marseillesa. <laughs> That's all I Marseillesa? can tell you. Okay. Yeah. Marseille, I believe, is the correct uh, French pronunciation. So I was kind of in the zone reading things phonetically, and when I got past that sentence, I was already like, you fucking idiot. So... Uh, <laughs> The 90s were a time when it was just like, anyone can be a movie star. We can make anyone a movie star. And it's, that's obviously not exclusive to the 90s, but it was way more like, there was like Howie Long and uh, Brian Bosworth. And I'm just trying to, I'm thinking of people that got like movies made. And uh, I think Pamela Anderson, unfortunately, gets kind of lumped in with those people of the 90s. Jenny McCarthy, you know, that type of thing. Of She was very of the time and she was like a superstar from Baywatch and you know looked like a million bucks but I think there's I mean even like on Home Improvement I've rewatched some of that show since like her she's just a young actress like that's trying to get a break in that and she does a really good job and I don't know if she was ever given a platform to show what she really could do I don't. I don't think that she was. You know, I made the Sophie's Choice joke earlier. I don't know if she was ever going to be Meryl Streep, but she definitely got the tone of this. I think most of the people involved with this figured out the tone pretty quickly. But she's great with the one-liners and the, uh, you know, the delivery of it. And obviously, she's sexualized in this, but she seems so comfortable in it and carries herself as such like a badass in it that it doesn't come across as uncomfortable or forced. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I wouldn't say my experience is much more extensive than yours. I think she's someone who got into the spotlight and gained star power so quickly that I don't know if anyone would know what to do with like the level of stardom she was at at the point in time she had it. And I kind of wish we had more things like barbed wire to reference, not necessarily. I don't wish she made a bunch of movies like this, but Something that was a movie she starred in to see, you know, more of what she was capable of. She was just like this supernova of what was relevant at the moment. Like she did a ton of TV things where she's just Pamela Anderson. Right. And so I I don't know. It kind of makes you wonder if she could have been like an action heroine or maybe there was more to it. Maybe she had more to offer, but it just kind of came and went so fast that you know there's really no going back like look at the sandwich here she did barbed wire in 96 and had bit parts and cameos in a few things and then like borat was 2006 remember that remember her in that movie yeah and so but that's a movie that basically is about the experience of the, the the public image that we have of pamela anderson well what i'm trying to say is like by that point in time it seemed like the opportunity to give her more was gone. She just did cameos and scary movie three. It was in a Baywatch movie. And then Borat came out. 
where it was kind of like, haha, remember Pamela Anderson? So I don't know. This has already gotten way more deep on the subject than I expected to. Uh, <laughs> well, because that's really, you know, when I, I, I think that it, I just wanted to get that out of the way because at least I, I knew my bias going in and my bias was like, oh, it's just that bad Pamela Anderson movie, you know, and, and Pamela Anderson movie had a meaning for me that was, you know, oh, she's hot. And they made a movie where they just basically the movie is an excuse for them to show her half naked and and get horny guys to fork I don't know ten twelve dollars whatever the <laughs> price of a ticket was oh come on it was like seven bucks so, probably not even that's that. true that's true back in the nineties and uh, three fifty you went to the early bird but there's more to it than that it's actually you know I it was more to it than that and she her performance is more than just like oh I'm hot and I'm gonna like stand here and <laughs> you know let people come to me. Uh, and by the way, the other thing that kind of like affected my or influenced my idea of what Pamela Anderson was, was that she was the inspiration slash voice for Stripperella. Did you ever hear yeah. of the Stripperella cartoon? I remember created, Stripperella. Created by Stan Lee. Yep. It <laughs> yep, was on uh, Spike TV, right? Yep. Yeah. That's why it. I remember it catching my attention. And so, of course, that fits like, you know, Stripperella. Oh, like a stripper with big boobs, a blonde stripper with big boobs played by Pamela Anderson, inspired by Pamela Anderson. It just kind of fits that narrative. And it's like, yes, we, again, as a society, we reduced her to the the stereotype of the the hot blonde with big boobs. And then uh, I guess she never really, at least for most of us, she she never really transcended that. And so if you have that, that image in your head, then you watch uh, Barbed Wire. And, you know, in my experience, it's, it suddenly opens up this whole other side of her. We're like, oh, she actually has a really good sense of humor about herself and about mm-hmm. this type that she's associated with. And she can have a lot of fun with it. And uh, and she's really good at it. A girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. And in this world, you got to use everything you got. Hey, handsome. Where I stand with this movie, in my experience, because I had a good time watching it, it's not Howard the Duck. And then, and no. I will get at to you know as to why I don't think it's Howard the Duck, but I did have similar preconceptions going in where I'm like, oh, this is gonna be really bad, and then it turns out that no, it's actually fun, and a lot of the people that are negative on it are just, I guess, they just don't want to have fun the way that they don't want to have fun with Howard the Duck. Uh, at the same time, I think it's way better than a couple other movies that came to mind while I was watching it, uh, which mm-hmm. we've talked about on the show, Tank Girl. And Eon Flux. Yeah. Yep, you know, yep. similar kind of like post apocalyptic female heroes that are kind of wacky. And the, the world building is kind of like all over the place. The mythology can be, can get complicated. Uh, and those movies, I remember they just didn't work. You know, they were either too stylized or too quirky or too like. So again, I'm just like, man, barbed wire. I wouldn't say that they nail it, but they they do really well with what they have compared because I've seen what happens. You know, I, I have examples in my mind of how it is when it goes wrong, and uh, you know, Charlie Theron, Laurie Petty. I know they're good actresses, <laughs> and mm-hmm. they couldn't really carry those movies. Uh, whereas, like, here's Pamela Anderson, and she comes in, and I think that she does a great job just carrying uh, barbed wire on her back. I think that's commendable, and that's where I land. You know, it's like. Not Howard the Duck because Howard the Duck is good. I think that's well, it's good and it, it does almost everything right. We talked about it in our episode, much to <laughs> Sam's horror. We both really like 
Howard the Duck, and uh, we both agreed that they kind of went off the rails towards the end. Whereas Barbed Wire, I think that where it falters is some of the, the supporting cast. And yeah. uh, I'm not going to talk shit about Ludo here, but specifically, I think that... He has nothing to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's fine for what it is. You know, I, I was actually surprised. I don't know if this movie ever planned on having a sequel, but they they basically write him out of the <laughs> of the movie, right? Oh, Here, dude! Like at the end the when bar. he comes, when he tags along uh, for one of the rides, it's like, oh man, Udo Kier is gonna get a gun and like hang around the rest of the movie, but then he just kind of disappears. No, he's like, you guys go have fun. I'm gonna bury your brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you seen this mess? I gotta fucking deal with this. Get out of here. <laughs> Uh no, I think uh Jango Fett is not is not pulling his weight on this one. Yeah. He's tr- he's he's treating this way too seriously. Mm-hmm. He's not having fun. Uh I don't I don't see chemistry between him and Pamela Anderson and uh, they're supposed to be <laughs> you know, if we're going to talk about Casablanca, it would be like Bogey not having chemistry with Ingrid Bergman, right? Like if Ingrid Bergman comes into the bar <laughs> and she's just not <laughs> Not having any fun with anything, I, I guess, you know, I guess like it's more serious, but still, if, if you just didn't feel those sparks, if you didn't care about that relationship, then that movie doesn't work. Of course, Barbed Wire is about more than the romance, but the romance is there. And, and I just, man, it, he was such a drag. Everybody else, like, I think that they, they do well. You know, uh, Udo Kier, uh, the guy that plays Charlie, fucking Sander Berkeley. I love him. I, I was not kidding. Contreras Corner. Everything I said is true. I, I geek out every time I see him anywhere. And here he finally gets to play throughout the entire movie and play a juicy role where he's like, he's bad, but he's not really bad. And it's like Ebert said, he has a heart of gold. <laughs> so uh, that's really cool. But I don't like Django Fett. And so that's, that's a big, that's a big problem. That's you know, Howard the Duck. I liked everybody there. Even fucking Jeffrey Jones. I mean, he he did what needed to be done in that movie. Uh, Tim Robbins, Leah Thompson, of course. Legendary performance by Leah Thompson. Uh, I think we talked about it in Howard the Duck a little bit, and obviously, LOL, me defending these movies because they're both comic book related, and now those have become like the bane of my existence. But um, <laughs> it's weird, man. It's weird to put on 2023 glasses and see a movie like Barbed Wire for what it is universal studios giving you know almost 10 million dollars to make this movie that has no precedent or grounds of working i'm just saying yeah give it a shot and then everyone hating it you know they try to make a new movie star with pamela anderson they cover random ass source material with barbed wire which is a dark horse comic you made a movie like this today, not necessarily that it has to be based on a comic book, but like a movie that's all practical effects, no green screen, you know, a major studio invests in this, trying to make a big star off of someone who isn't at that level yet. People would lose their minds for this in theory. I'm not saying that they would necessarily succeed or anything like that, but the idea of barbed wire, the movie is so far in the rear view now. And, you know, Howard the Duck, to a certain extent, was the same way. And when we talked about that, it's like there was no precedent for something like that really at the time. And everyone just hated it. So it has this really unfair, maligned legacy. And I'm not... I think Howard the Duck, like you you do, I think Howard the Duck is better than Barbed Wire, but both of these 
it's it's weird, man. It's weird that like when was the last movie that came out that people acted like it was the worst thing that's ever happened? I li- like I mean that like oh, uh, legitimately um, not the the Mars movie, uh, John Carter. Yes, yeah, good one. But but that's like ten years ago, and it's just all about safe bets now. So uh, there's part of me that welcomes putting myself for an hour and a half in a time capsule of thinking back to like when this was made and what the thought process was behind it. And like I texted you, there's not a single green screen in the entire movie. Uh, (laughs) That that's awesome. You know, the guy, the bad guy that dies at the end when they cut to the wide shot, it's clearly just a dummy sitting on that cart that they drop. And I'm just like, yeah, man, feed me that (laughs) shit, dude. I don't, I don't need, I don't, I don't need your realistic bullshit. Uh, one thing I do want to talk about too is the. It seems as though a lot of the criticism, what uh, besides on Pamela Anderson, was like the kind of ridiculous nature of it. And it is a dark horse comic, uh, based on a dark horse comic, barbed wire. And I remember as a kid, dark horse comics were, and I only had single issues. I never had like whole series of theirs or even graphic novels. It would be random things handed down from my cousin or getting the dollar bin at the comic book store or something. The Dark Horse comics were always the really, you know, the the women had massive cleavage. They were really violent. The dialogue in them was real, like, hardened and, you know, sexy. And so I think having never read Barbed Wire, but knowing and being familiar with just like random Dark Horse comics, this feels really in line with what they would have tried to have achieved in their comics. And the most famous examples from a film perspective, uh, Sin City is a Dark Horse comic. I think Sin City sucks, but that, you know, that's just me. Um, But you think about that and just the, and all it takes is the right coat of paint and, you know, suddenly you're visionary. And then of course, Hellboy, which we're both big Hellboy fans. Uh, Anyway, my point is Dark Horse comics have been covered in film, have been translated to film, excuse me, to much more accepting and um, positive reviews. And I think this one kind of just got a bad rap and it seems to fall in that Howard the Duck category of we, you and I, and you know, people who like it, I assume, can deduce the reasoning for that. But uh, we're here to tell you Specifically, that it's not a really fair read on it. I do believe I'm falling in love. Get in line. Uh, as we look towards wrapping up here, I did want to read an article I pulled from Screen Rant from March 3rd of 2022. Barbed Wire's impact on Pamela Anderson's career. True story explained. Now, as has been discussed, uh, I gave that Pam and Tommy show... I think two and a half episodes and I absolutely detested it. So (laughs) I didn't make it to the episode, episode seven. So this is by Antonella Gugliersi. Gugliersi? I'm sorry, Antonella. I'm I'm trying here. It's uh, one in the morning and we're powering through. (laughs) Pam and Tommy, episode seven, focused on Pamela on the, uh, parenthetically Lily James, on the eve of the premiere of her film Barbed Wire, which was supposed to be her big break, but in reality negatively affected her career. The Hulu limited series reached its second to last episode, which showed more facets of Pamela's life that were affected by the release of her private sex tape with husband Tommy Lee, Sebastian Stan, while the first half of the series focused more on Rand, Seth Rogen and his theft and revenge 
The second half worked as a meticulous representation of the double standards Pamela had to face because of the release of her sex tape compared to her husband. Uh, This isn't really relevant to barbed wire. That's absolutely true. She endured a bunch of shit she didn't have to and negative backlash that by today's standards, I don't really think people... um, It's a victim of the time, you know, and it's absolutely true. I can't imagine the horror of that, man. Yes, she was in Playboy. And yes, her breasts are out in this movie. It's a lot different than making an intimate tape where you're having sex with your husband at the time and thinking like, hey, this is fun. This is for us. And then some fucker steals it and puts it on the internet for people. It's, It's a very fair call out there. Barbed Wire was portrayed by Pam and Tommy as the movie which would have finally led Pamela to reach the career and social standing she desired. Lily James's Pamela even hired a specific publicist in episode three to face the promotional period in the film's premiere, even before the sex tape scandal had built up, precisely because she had bet a lot on the movie's success. Her publicist ended up comforting her even about issues unrelated to barbed wire, such as the sex tape spreading and the consequences of Pamela's reputation of suing Bob uh, Gusion and Penthouse Magazine in episode five. Pam and Tommy episode seven showed the barbed wire premiere and the subsequent sneaking out of Pamela and Tommy to a regular theater in order to see the people's unfiltered reactions, which unkindly Uh ridiculed the film and Pamela's role in it. Similarly to what's shown in Pam and Tommy, Barbed Wire was a flop in terms of earnings. The comics-based action had an estimated budget of $9 million, but made less than 4 at the box office on the opening weekend in the U.S. Barbed Wire scored 28% amongst critics and 14% amongst viewers in Rotten Tomatoes, making it a big failure. Okay, first of all, I don't know if those metrics existed at the time, but go off. Uh, <laughs> not only for its earning, but also how it was received. The negative... Critics' consensus on the site can be summarized by the scathing top comment that said, Barbed wire could have been fun camp, but Pamela Anderson can't deliver her lines with any dramatic or comedic impact, which I think you and I have categorically disproven over the past two hours. Yeah, f- uh, fuck off. That's, uh, uh, I mean, finish the article, but I, I, I do have the final point that I, I want to make, and I don't know if you'll agree with me, but it's worth making. This comment aims specifically at Pamela's axing expertise, creating a link between the film's failure and Anderson's part in it. While she hoped it would be successful as it was Anderson's first protagonist role in a movie that wouldn't be released direct to video, but to cinemas, barbed wire hindered Anderson's career. After the 1996 action movie, Anderson ended up appearing either as herself on films or her renowned Baywatch character, CJ Parker. The only other role in a major franchise Anderson had after Barbar Bar happened in 2003 was Scary Movie 3. And this is kind of what we're talking about earlier. Barbar's tendency to heavily rely on Anderson's sex symbol status did not help her diversify her acting roles. As Pam and Tommy implied, it was Pamela's objective. It also didn't help that the movie's release was welcomed with harsh reviews. Still, one cannot forget the timing of Barbed Wire's release, as it happened precisely when the sex tape was circulating. Pam and Tommy makes reminding the viewers of, of this detail its mission, subtly suggesting that Barbed Wire's flop and Pamela's dwindling career could have been ascribed to how harshly Pamela was being judged precisely because of the tape. Um, you know, there's a couple things I already had touched on that that article reiterates, but... I think all that's just kind of worth calling out to put in perspective. And I do agree that that comment is asinine because I think both you and I found things to enjoy about her delivery of these lines and comedic timing and just her ability to, as 
Ebert said, be a good sport about it all. So, Julio, as we reach the end here of our journey through Dave Hogan's barbed wire, as I mentioned, <laughs> and I forgot to circle back to, returning Dave Hogan, he was the second unit director on Batman Forever and way back in the vault, Alien 3. Speaking of diversifying your career. <laughs> um, uh, it did say uh, one last thing on Pamela Anderson to kind of just good on you, gal. Uh, it said she did a lot of her own stunts too, which is uh, for a movie like this, pretty fucking crazy. Um, okay. I know we're wrapping up here. I do want to circle back because I did mention it was nominated for six Golden Raspberry Awards. And as we do with the Oscars for the years we cover and the movies we cover, I always also need to circle back to call out what was nominated here. So Barbed Wire, unfairly and unjustly, was nominated for Worst Picture, Worst Actress, Worst Screen Couple, Worst Screen Play, Worst New Star, and Worst Original Song. Sadly, Pamela Anderson won Worst New Star. Boo. Who is she Boo, up against? Indeed. Worst New Star. Pamela Anderson beat out of... Uh, this is how ridiculous this shit is. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres and Mr. Wrong. The new serious Sharon Stone and uh, Last Dance. <laughs> F- friends cast members turned wannabe movie stars. Uh, Jennifer Aniston and she's the one Lisa Kudrow and mother Matt LeBlanc and Ed and David Schwimmer and the Paul Bear and Beavis and Butthead and Beavis and Butthead do America which again is bullshit because Beavis and Butthead do America is a fucking fantastic movie uh, worst screenplay the rest of these is a is a wipeout uh, so <laughs> what swept the the golden raspberries that year was striptease with Demi Moore okay one worst picture worst actress uh Worst director, worst original or worst screenplay, and worst original song. So that's a movie uh, our friend Reed and I have gone back and forth about because he, I think he thinks of that what we're kind of talking about about Barbed Wire is that it's kind of a fun campy movie and I think that kind of but it takes itself a bit too seriously. Not here to talk yeah, about striptease. No. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Reed needs to rewatch Striptease. <laughs> I, I wasn't trying to be too harsh, but I am on your side of history with that one, my friend. All right. I think we've covered barbed wire as best we can right now. So we move into, um, as our recently departed friend Jerry Springer would say, our final thought. Uh, <laughs> yes, because I, I would like to antagonize all our listeners in America. <laughs> my final so, word. How much is this going to cost me? That depends on how you want to play. Uh, I like to play rough. But just the one thing that I think needs to be expanded on in this conversation as we come to a close, and I think it's it's actually fitting that we were just talking about striptease and how it's a bad movie because it is a bad movie. I've seen it. Second, and somebody mentioned Showgirls, you know, in the opening quotes, and um, <laughs> I forgot to circle back to that. You brought that up. I think you and I both agree this is much better than Showgirls. Yes, yes, and by a lot. Most movies we've covered on the show are better than Showgirls. <laughs> uh, but the, what they all have in common is just that their movies were sexist, like upfront. And mm-hmm. and I kind of brought it up in Contrarian's Corner, half, half joking, but it is true as far as, you know, the big movies today, to say that they're sexless is very harsh. 
and it kind of it kind of misses the point because at the same time they're they're kind of like supposed to be family entertainment and unfortunately that means that the way that you acknowledge sexuality in a PG-13 movie, you know, it's it's very muted. Also uh, with modern audiences, it's a much more difficult high wire to navigate. Yes, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be navigated. You know, that's the problem. Accurate. Like that, that's I understand there's two problems. One is that America in particular, and probably the world like in general, you know, that obviously depending where you land, but let's talk about America because that's where we live. It's still puritanical <laughs> in some aspects of, of, of its lifestyle. And so that's the idea that, you know, well, we used to work with people that were perfectly fine with taking their children to movies where there was a lot of violence, but if they showed boobs and God forbid, and yep. there is, I think that it automatically causes people to push back. Not everybody. I get it. Not everybody. If you dislike barbed wire for legitimate reasons, that that's fine. But there are people that I think automatically went in just expecting to to hate it or preparing to not like it or already thinking lowly of 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 what they were going to watch just because they knew it was going to be at quotation marks like a sexy movie. You know, it's. Uh, uh, dude, I'm I'm sorry. I know this is your time, but you're speaking such truth. I need to jump in here. Like, jump in. It, not just that, but there's that, and there's always been, and I've been guilty of it before too. But you know, people went into this hating it because it's Pamela Anderson. It's this yep. pretty girl with big breasts, and you know, she, her being the star of this movie. I don't want to see any of that. You know, I don't want these people to succeed. You know, I, I, it's human nature sometimes, but especially with pretty people, people get mad when really pretty people succeed. And I, on top of it being a sexy movie, I think the idea that Universal financed this movie for this unproven commodity at the time, who's really fucking hot to, you know, be the star of this action movie. I, I agree with you 100% that I think a lot of people had their mind made up about this movie before they even watched it. I mean, fuck, I did, you know, and I, I, that's what I was saying at the beginning of Real Talk. I was like, I had an, an, an image in my I head. I did, too. Of I thought Anderson. this was pornography. <laughs> <laughs> you were very excited about it. And I was just, <laughs> and I was reluctant to jump in just because I'm like, it's going to be a bad movie with a hot girl. And it turned out to be a fun movie with a hot girl. Those exist. But, you know, the, I, I think that there's just this this barrier whenever you, you try to sell that. And we've even... I think drifted further apart for trying to give those movies a chance. And, and that's the other half of it because I understand, I understand that now we are more uh, aware. We try to be more conscious of, of just, uh, you know, the male gaze and that kind of stuff. But, but I think that it's also, you have to allow for times when it's all intentional and it's all part of the plan and everybody that's, taking part of it is actually, you know, they're consenting adults and they're having fun and they want you to have fun. And it's like, you know, a woman dancing in slow motion while she's half naked doesn't have to be necessarily a bad thing, you know? But when a movie opens with that, you already like take a lot of people out because they're like, oh God, no, this is bad. You know, it, it doesn't, I I, it doesn't make sense that we don't see more of this right now. And again, I, I'm not here to tell women how to live or do their thing. So I'll just like from the male perspective of men in movies. Right. And I know we have history of men being hot in movies, but like we live in the most body positive era, like in history. And so it's shocking to me that there's not more movies like this where people are just hot for the sake of being hot. I know a lot of people make the argument. That's what movies are. It's just people, pretty people doing <laughs> shit, but like, you know, 
uh, if this movie came out today and had this negative backlash, there would be a backlash on top of that that you're body shaming or <laughs> yes. that you're not being yeah. like positive on top of that. So it's insane. <laughs> Barbed wire is an insane film. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. I, I think that, yes, movies are pretty people, but especially today, like it feels like unless you're going to an art house movie or, you know, you know, big releases, it's very rare that you actually see those pretty people expressing sexual desire besides, you know, a one-liner or something that's referenced like in the back. And it's like, I'm not telling you that I want to see like hot people fucking in every movie, but I would like an acknowledgement that sex is a thing that surrounds us, that happens, you know, and, and, and some people can use it to further their goals and, you know, I guess th- I watch a movie like Bar Wire that was made in the mid '90s, and it suddenly feels like, yes, you were up. Like there's no green screen, it's practical effects, and it's almost 90 minutes. And but on top of that, there's something else that we've kind of like lost in the years since, and that is just this idea of let's have fun with sexuality in a mainstream movie. <laughs> That's just you go and see what's playing, and I, I, even if you put away like the superhero movies, like let's say that. You know, the, the place of sex and sexuality in a superhero movie is probably a conversation that just we don't have time for that on this episode. But but even other major releases, you know, uh, look, and I know specifically a couple of our friends and patrons have differing views on this. But like the there seems to be like an idea that like sex doesn't belong in movies anymore. And that's, you know, in our blue is the warmest color episode, we talk about having like direct conversations with people that said that was unnecessary and it's like okay that's your opinion but what this filmmaker was trying to do and what like this movie was trying to present involved that and that's what we're talking about here today barb wire it's like yeah barb's really fucking hot and uses like how hot she is to her advantage that inherently you know isn't at a base level that's not a bad thing you can over rely on that um Friday the Thirteenth. Every girl who's in it has to be naked. Yes, right. like that. That's at, at, at its base level not a good idea. But I, uh, yeah, you know way more about the landscape today than I do. But even I can tell you, it's a pendulum for sure. Uh, there are movies that rely way too heavily on it to a detriment. But it can be used to make a movie not just necessarily good, but in this case, more fun because hot people are hot. And sometimes they do things <laughs> hot people would do. And I will say this, Alex, uh, just because I don't doubt that there's at least one listener out there that's kind of like shaking their head and going like, really, like you make this point when you're talking about barbed wire. But that's kind of the that's the thing. It's not that barbed wire becomes this prime example of what we're talking about, but it's just that the landscape, as you as you say, you know, it's such that. Even when watching a movie like Barbed Wire, it just that's something that comes to mind. You know, it may not be a well, great also movie. It, yeah, and it's it, it wouldn't mean as much, or it wouldn't we wouldn't be harping on it as much if it really didn't seem like so much of the criticism was just oh she's just a dumb blonde with big boobs. That seems right. to be like where so many people were coming from with it. Yeah. So sex good, hot women good, hot men hot, good, hot men good. <laughs> yes. Udo Kier good. Jago Fett, not so good. But overall, it's a good time. Watch Barbed Wire. I where are you landing? I, I I'm I'm torn between three and three and a half stars. My God. I like when I was doing my letterbox review, I had it at two and a half because like 
I thought just the first viewing was clouding my judgment when I had it at three. And it was one of those like, <laughs> y- y'all know if you have letterbox, you-, you click the, if you click the third star, it highlights the whole star and you click it again, it, it halves it. And I just kept going back and forth. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. This is getting three stars. And, you know, I was based on my history with it. I, I would say it's like a, a C plus, may, maybe even a B minus, like upon rewatch. But like what I was thinking about is like it's the if I was a teacher, it's the essay I get from the kid that like I have these preconceived notions about, about not, <laughs> not caring or maybe he's not the brightest or maybe, you know, they're not tuned in dialed in or whatever and i read their essay and i'm like son of a bitch this ain't an a but this is a really <laughs> damned solid entry right here there's a lot of misspellings but but there's something yeah, to exactly this. <laughs> exactly it's um I, I think this immediately shoots to the top of the list of the movies we've done that uh right up there with howard the duck and again not as good as howard the duck but really has an unfair and um extremely misleading legacy you know and that's kind of part of what we do here we cover these movies that showgirls that movie we came away from it it, thinking it was worse than people said it was (laughs) yes and then here we're just like yeah y'all y'all were wrong about this and time is definitively on our side of the argument with this so um three stars on letterbox undecided between c plus and b minus but man this is a really fun time i'm glad i own it now it's on the shelf so this is a a great background at a party movie you know oh yeah so no matter um, when you look like the odds are very high that you're gonna find something very entertaining on the screen absolutely so gerald i don't know if i don't know what your motives were man but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and I don't even know how much of this episode is going to make the main feed, but brother, you got a hell of a conversation out of this. So, well done, uh, what, Julio. Uh, all right, main event time. Where are you landing? I, I'm going to land on three stars. It's it's tempting to do three and a half just because a lot of uh, I think that the conversation got me fired up to three and a half. But <laughs> but you know I'm not rating the conversation. I'm rating the movie, and the movie on its own has you know. After everything else that we talked, there are some things that just, I don't, like the entire climax, it's just not my bag. It's just so hard, I think, to have like a, a, a an action sequence now that blows my mind. Maybe back in 96, 97, I, it would have been easier, but I was drifting in and out when they were just doing the car chase. And, and I know it's cool. I mean, it's not terrible. and It's well shot. But I was like, no, can we just have more of a barbed wire being sassy and... <laughs> Doing laps around all the men that are trying to manipulate her—that—that's a lot more fun. So yeah, I'm gonna land on on three stars, which is still really good. And I I recommend it. I would say anybody that has any preconceived notions about this movie, just put them aside. Just sit down for ninety minutes and and kind of reevaluate how you feel about Pamela Anderson as an actress. Yeah, in that article we read, it just kind of she went through a lot in a brief period. I know there's a, a documentary on Netflix now about her life and times and. It's kind of motivated me more to check it out um, because wrestling transcends life and is everything. We'll close on <laughs> Pamela Anderson, uh, the 1995 Royal Rumble, which, of course, the winner of the Royal Rumble goes on to face the WF champion at WrestleMania. She was in attendance for that. It was built. It was in Florida somewhere, and it was like, you know, built is on the beach and CJ from... Baywatch is going to be here. 
she sat ringside. Shawn Michaels won the Royal Rumble. She came in the ring and he like posed in front of her and she giggled at it. And then at WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels was a bad guy. So somehow it ended up that Shawn Michaels came down to the ring with Jenny McCarthy and then Kevin Nash Diesel, who's the good guy, came to the ring with Pamela Anderson. Uh, it was a star-studded affair. Nick Totoro was the ring announcer, I believe. And uh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas was there. <laughs> it was impossibly 1995. But, <laughs> but they sat her and um, Jenny McCarthy at ringside during the Shawn Michaels Diesel match. And Pamela Anderson looked like she wanted to be anywhere else on the planet but at WrestleMania 11 in uh, Hartford, <laughs> Connecticut. And that's always made me appreciate her a little bit more because only psychopaths really want to be at a wrestling <laughs> event. So God bless her. Anyway, Gerald, this uh, this turned out to be way more than I thought. When we hopped on originally, I like I assumed Julio was going to not like this movie, so I thought this was going to be a really short episode. But man, we got, we got in the weeds for you, brother. <laughs> so we hope hope you got your money's worth off of it. Uh, that <laughs> covers barbed wire. So Julio, what's being thrown our way next? Thrown our way, as as mentioned on the patron pitch, next episode is going to be the Netflix movie Dolomite is My Name, yet another in a series of Eddie Murphy comebacks. I guess it's too soon to tell if this one will stick, but it definitely got him some some buzz, some heat. How much do you know about this movie, Alex? I remember like when it came out, the buzz was pretty palpable. Uh, that's about the extent of my knowledge of it. But Dolomite is a, a gray area that I've always kind of wanted to cover, so I'm pretty fired up about this. That's coming up next. And then, like I said, later this month on the Patreon feed, we'll be talking about an actual Dolomite movie. So it's it's kind of a, a two-parter. All right. Well, Miss Anderson, it has been a pleasure. I don't know when we're going to cross paths here again, uh, but I think we did your... Um, your attempt at a leading role justice. So with that being said, we're going to move on into perennial plugs before we get out of here. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rodgieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our merch page. That little tomato looking at itself in the mirror, that's the work of Hans. So if you like his work, uh, just contact him. Reach out to him on Twitter, at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, and tell him that you like his art, or you can check out his website, Mildemonios.pe. That's where he lists all the other stuff he does, books he writes, uh, the podcasts he produces, he has a podcast called Nacion Combi, which is about Peruvian career affairs. And he has a podcast called Marginal, which is about economy. And a whole bunch of novels, uh, most of them about zombies. Just check out his work. Tell him he he's great at drawing tomatoes. Whatever you want to do. Just be friendly to him. Uh, Hans, thank you for all your support. Shout out to the boys over at LateNightGrin.com. Recently uh, recorded this month's Grin Grappler, or I guess May's Grin Grappler, covering the life and times of kevin owens kevin steen as always a fun time with them and always like to give them props a shout out because they help even just through retweets or letting me on the show to plug what we do here on the contrarians they help our machine continue to run so if you're into the world of professional wrestling late has got you covered and having us covered is our social media team Coriari man 
knocking them out of the park recently with some of our video shorts and just our um, warm-ups discovering that Donald Trump's favorite movie is Paris, Texas or Alien Day, whatever whatever the charge may be, Corey's definitely been stepping up to the plate and knocking them out of the park. And as always, we appreciate Zoe Perez for the work she does for us as well. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime, Instagram at Contrarian Prime, YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime, our Twitter's in the bumper. You can find us there. Thank you all so much for the work that you do for us. We really appreciate it. And we really appreciate you, especially this one. If you're hanging, if you're here right now, man, you've made it through, <laughs> made it to the Steel Dominion or whatever the fuck the name of that city is and back. You broke through the barricade. You're, you've made it to Canada if you've made it this far in the episode. We, we've had a, a hell of a time here. We thank you so much for joining us on yet another episode of The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. That's